throw darts at a board. I bet on sure things. Read Sun Tzu, The Art of War. Every battle is won before it's ever fought. Think about it. Welcome, Closers. Today, I want to talk about the power of no. I want to talk about constraints. I want to talk about boundaries. I want to talk about calling your own shots. As I've been doing these solo podcasts, I'm trying to share what has worked for me, not the theoretical, not the intellectual, but things that have actually produced results in my own life. And saying no and disappointing other people and having the will to do that, having the, the, the space to kind of contain other people's disappointment and their expectations towards me has been so critical to my own growth trajectory and strategy. I haven't personally found that my desire and my aspiration for having a business that affords me a bunch of free time has been particularly catalyzing or motivating in terms of modifying my behavior. What I mean by that is it's easy to think, what kind of a business do you want? It's a self-managing company where I'm at the head. I'm the main shareholder. It's highly profitable. It's growing and I'm not involved and I'm on a beach somewhere. That's kind of the idea that we pay homage to. And on some level that appeals to me. But in terms of what actually causes me to take action, I am much more driven by the concrete, tangible of new opportunity rather than by the possibility of doing nothing. That's not right, wrong. That's just stage of life where I'm at. I'm honestly not at a place where if I sold the business and had a big exit, I can envision myself doing nothing for an extended period of time. So in light of that, and given that I know a lot of you listening to this can relate to that on some level, what I've found is that the way I've made the most progress in my career in terms of leveling up is by forcibly and violently depriving oxygen to the lower priority with the higher priority. It was only by adding more to my plate, by creating more chaos and more busyness that I've been able to actually make headway in breaking the behaviors and the addiction to low value, low significance, low priority tasks and agenda items and low priority people in some cases. I mean, let's just, let's just say it. Let's call it, let's call it what it is. In many cases, the squeaky wheel gets the grease, whether or not that's a client, whether or not that is a staff member, a family member, personal relationships, it's so easy to be driven in the day-to-day by the cacophony of noise that surrounds us. And the reality is that the most important tasks, the things that are actually going to create breakthroughs in potential, in direction, and in possibility, have nobody cheering or vying for them. There's no meeting scheduled to think about your 10-year future. There's nobody that's coming to create urgency and shake you with zealousness to talk about a redirection around your your core goals. That's on you. So in light of that, for me, being willing to disappoint others, being willing to move on, we talked about the institutional imperative last week. We talked about the need to have an objective assessment and to ask yourself, are you an operator or are are you an investor? And if you are an investor, 
what is the return on where you are, are where you are investing your time and your attention i identify in the latter but it wasn't always so and really it's only within the last 12 to 24 months that i've really gotten clear on that early on i was an operator through and through i derived a ton of satisfaction from that and i engaged with the fantasy that ops was going to unlock the secret and the possibility to growth and you know it could be true in some cases right you um you hit the lotto you happen to just through pure circumstance wind up running a business that is has a screaming hot market behind it where the demand is just the demand is going to pull the service out of you if you find yourself in that situation then you may console yourself by being able to focus on ops but for the vast majority of us that simply is not the case and there's a limitation to the return that you're going to get by working on systems processes etc so how do you get out how do you pivot how do you change focus how do you break through is it going to a conference and getting the great idea is it listening to this podcast is it a download is it a new spreadsheet is it a kpi is it a tip trick and hack or another mastermind Hasn't been that in my experience. The only thing that's really moved the needle is being more cognizant of where I am placing my attention and doing accounting to understand the delta between what I want, what the behaviors that are required to manifest those things, and where my attention and time is actually being placed day to day. So I want to listen, I want to encourage you, dear listener to get really clear on what you are tolerating in your day-to-day -day life. What, what are you tolerating? What are the points of frustration? What are the things that you're doing at a sense of duty? Who are the people that you don't want to be talking to? Who is that person that when you get that email or that phone call from them, you just cringe and you just accept that you're going to have to put up with the next five to 10 minutes of conversation? Because you know it's not going to go well. You know you don't want to be in relationship with this person. You know you don't want to have them as a staff member, a business partner, or a client. Toleration for me has been a fantastic heuristic for getting clear on the things that need to go away and the things that are holding me back and the lies that I'm telling myself. Here's, what's ha here's what happens. It's not that the thought is, oh, I'm tolerating X, Y, Z. It's creating massive limitations on my potential and my forward progress. And, uh, and I own that. And I just identify that. Nobody's saying that. What it looks more like is there's a guilt trip around this heroic work of toleration, this heroic work of working long hours, of doing low-level menial tasks, of tolerating dysfunctional relationships. We tend to rationalize and engage in fantasy rather than just calling a spade a spade and saying, hey, this is the pure, this is the, the pure unadulterated view of reality, suspending any judgments from it. And this is what we're talking about with forecasting, by the way. You've probably heard me mention this before. The forecast, first and foremost, is your assessment of what is and what is most likely to be predicated upon the past. That is what the, for the forecast must be, first and foremost. Separate from that is what we would like it to be, our planning, our aspiration. 
But if it is not first and foremost, what is most likely to be, we have left the realm of reality and we're engaging in fantasy. It's the same thing with any other aspect of your business. When you know and you can identify the things that you are tolerating in your business, you have unlocked the first key to get clear on where the change needs to happen and what needs to attack. The treasure that you seek and that I'm after is in the cave that we both refuse to enter. That's a lesson and an idea that we can go through over and over and over again. So I would ask you again, what are you resisting? What are you tolerating? And what are you making up about why those things have to keep existing in your business? Maybe it's the fact that you're not making any money. Shocking to me how frequently this keeps coming up. I, I thought it would have gotten old by now. But when we interact with, when I'm on a call with someone and we find out that the business is break even, there's either one of two directions that can go. There's either, yep, not making any money and it's a, it's a problem and I'm committed to change or there's a litany of reasons as to why that simply has to be the case. It's not good, bad, right, wrong. But again, it's a commentary on whether or not we're engaging in fantasy or just embracing reality for what it is without judgment. If you, if you can be, create enough space to suspend the judgment about the reality and not rush to label it, to call it good, bad, or broken, we can at least have the opportunity to see it for what it is before we immediately dive into drawing implications from it or trying to fix it. So maybe it's the fact that your business isn't making any money. Maybe it's the fact that you're working crazy hours. Maybe it's the fact that you're putting up with staff members or clients that are unmotivated or toxic or abusive or not committed or disloyal. I'll never forget having a conversation with a client that explained to me that they had a team member on staff that had embezzled from them. And that's crushing. I mean, guys, the, the heart-wrenching reality of knowing that money is missing and that somebody that you trained and trusted took it, that's devastating. But where it got interesting for me was to find out that that person was still on staff. They hadn't left yet. They were still there six months, 12 months later. And you know when it got even more interesting was when the rationalization came out of why that was the case. And it doesn't matter what the rationalization was, and I'm not going to share it here, but the point is this person had been wounded and wronged and yet was so caught up in their own story about why change wasn't possible. They were more interested in committing to and getting the validation and the reward from embracing that story about why change wasn't possible rather than doing what needed to be what needed to be done. And obviously that's an extreme example, but what I know about how joy in my work has, has come. And when I think about the question of building a business that you love, it's come from the pain and the flexing and the building of this muscle of saying no, of disappointing people, of saying that which was formerly really important to me is no longer a good use of my time or it's boring, I'm disinterested. A subset of tasks that you did from day one, that you mastered, that you know in and out, and that now just may be boring to you. Guys, that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. 
If it's boring, acknowledge it, admit it, move on, upskill, move up in the organization and challenge yourself to ask yourself, what is required for me to actually move up? The thing about people saying that you should work on the business rather than in the business is people don't explain the requirements that would be needed to make that actually work. Meaning how do you earn your keep when you're working on the business versus in the business? Because as soon as you go from direct labor to management labor, you've added overhead to the business. You're no longer contributing, shoveling, doing the kind of work that you were before side by side with your other teammates. Now you're a brain, you're thinking, your ideas, things can devolve pretty quickly when we move into that category of working on the business rather than in the business, unless we're clear what we're working on. Generally, what I tell people is working on revenue optimization is always going to be a great use of time. Meaning how do I get deeper in relationship financially with this customer, either by charging more for what I'm already doing, by charging starting to charge for things that I was already doing for free that I shouldn't be doing for free or by adding ancillary and new additional services. Property management is beautiful in that it's this hub and spoke model connected to so many other opportunities, services that are being rendered by somebody in the marketplace and the potentiality of expanding the value prop of something very small, meaning rent collection, getting a tenant, preventing something bad from happening to something very big, i.e. wealth creation through real estate, facilitating that journey. What I've found is that the more times that I've been willing to, to say no and do, to cut bait and to move on and to graduate myself in my personal time and attention and interest and focus the greater the opportunities have come. And I know wherever you're at, whatever the size of your business, whatever your current focus is right now, you see that. Whoever you are listening to this, I know you're a grinder. I know you work hard. That's the nature of being an entrepreneur. The only people that are willing to work 80 hours to avoid working 40 hours. That programming came through loud and clear in my upbringing, the Puritan work ethic, and I'm guessing it probably did for you too. I found that this industry as a whole is really salt of the earth kind of people. In many ways, that's what's appealing to me about serving PMs as opposed to serving the brokerage side. But the downside is that a lot of times we outgrow the thinking, but the thinking sticks around. The thinking, the impulse of survival and grinding was really useful early on, but it's a massive limiting factor in the backside. And in many cases, it is the primary driver of sabotage that is preventing us from getting out, graduating, building something bigger because we're addicted to this idea of working hard, myself included. I'm doing the, as I'm doing these podcasts, I am talking to me as the primary audience. I have found myself in a place where I've made enough jumps and graduated enough times that on occasion, when I would say no, when I would delegate, when I would move on, when I would choose to disappoint somebody that by rather than giving them my time and attention and continuing to focus on one thing, I would move on. As that happened, it created a vacuum. It created a deficit of things for me to do. And instead of celebrating or feeling like I had won, I ended up feeling some level of guilt. Like, man, I'm supposed to be working hard here and I want to work hard. I'm showing up to the office via muscle memory. I'm still here. I might not have the 
the wherewithal or the, uh, the fortitude or the perspective or the maturity to be willing to just take that time and keep it and work 20 hours a week. Guys, I wish I was really into, into bongos, drums, golf, uh, eating competitions, whatever. And it doesn't really matter. I wish I had this burning passion for a hobby outside of business. And it's not that I don't have interests outside of my business. My family means everything to me. It's infinitely more important to me than business. But I don't have another activity at present that I feel permission to invest myself in to go through that same cycle of mastery and skill development that is completely disconnected from work. And I used to feel guilty about that. But what I realized at, at some point, I don't remember when it happened, but the shift for me was to basically realize that it is okay to love your work and to allow aspects of your work to be more like an art than a science and to do it for personal fulfillment and personal satisfaction. Now, your business has to fund that in the same way that it's got to fund a golf hobby or a baseball hobby or, or whatever else you're into, travel, etc. And I hope I can parse the nuance out here, but the insight for me was that it was okay to have aspects of my work be something that was deeply rewarding, soul satisfying. And, you know, when we unpack that, I could talk about what that means specifically for me, but I think it's best to talk about it generally. The dynamics of this type and this category of work are when you are operating within the context of your unique ability. That's a Dan Sullivan concept. Unique ability is basically just the thing that you know you were put on earth to do and that you know you can be world-class at. When you're operating in the context of your unique ability, your optimism about the future, your awareness of your contribution, the feedback loop that you get, it's all tighter and better. For me, being willing to work in my unique ability took, it took some boldness. My, my, the story that I had in my head was that I just needed to grind and I needed to whore myself out to low value tasks because that's what myself and others expected of me. And the giftings and the abilities that I had that maybe were outside the context of what the business needed at this exact moment were indulgent and even more so because I enjoyed them. I get satisfaction from doing this podcast. So there's, there's, a, there's a part of me that because I get great satisfaction and joy from it wants me to think that there's something wrong with it or that I should be ashamed of that or there should be some guilt associated with it. Guys, I'm just telling you how I'm wired. You may not be that way. You may naturally gravitate towards operating purely within the context of your unique ability. But as for myself, there was a lot of guilt around what I should do. And I had a tendency to shit on myself rather than leaning into what I wanted to do and believing that what I want to do actually was a great heuristic for realizing what I need to do in order to get where I want to go. This is the same idea that procrastination is a gift because it clarifies what you should not be doing. And when I say should not be doing, I don't mean out of a sense of entitlement. I mean the things that are incongruent with the outcomes that you say that you want or that I have said that I wanted for myself. Hopefully somebody out there is getting some value out of this, I'm talking about just the mental shift and progression that has allowed me to go from hopeless grinding and from duty-filled grinding towards having a business that I love, where there's a lot of joy and there's a lot of possibility. 
Um, I'm wishing that for you today, guys. Hope you guys are doing well. And uh, give me a shout out if you got anything out of this episode.